This is Edge of the Rabbit Hole in our September 12, 2017 episode, Inside American Ripper with Jeff Mudgett. Welcome to another episode of Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I am Mike Ricksecker here with my lovely co-host Vanessa Hogel and our chat shenanigator Shauna down there in the chat room. We have a very special guest with us tonight. Really happy to have him on board. That is Jeff Mudgett. You uh, probably recognize him from the uh, the show that just uh, ended, American Ripper. He also has a fantastic book, Bloodstain, about H.H. Uh, Holmes. He's actually the great-great-grandson of H.H. Holmes, so uh, really looking forward to have him on. And just real quick, if you're a new viewer, please go ahead and subscribe. Hit that little notification to uh, uh, that little bell to get notified of uh, our upcoming episodes and all the videos that uh, we upload throughout the week. So um, without further ado, I just really want to jump right into it. Uh, Jeff, thank you very much for um, for coming on the show tonight. Really do appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Mike and Vanessa. I've been looking forward to it for uh, quite a while now. Yeah, yeah. I uh, contacted you uh, a while back. show was still going on, and uh, you basically told me, well, you know, hang on until the show's over. But now it's over, and we can actually talk about uh, what went down. So um, I, I know Vanessa has a lot of questions for you. I, the, the first thing that I was really curious about um, is how, how you originally came to the idea that, you know, H.H. H. Holmes, your, your great-great-grandfather, um, could possibly be Jack the Ripper. You know, that was an, it, that's an interesting question that I've got to go back in time, maybe six, seven years. And uh, quite frankly, I was contacted by a gentleman that, from Pennsylvania named Mark Potts, who'd spent decades of his life trying to put the theory together that Holmes was Jack the Ripper. And when he found out that I was writing a book about Holmes, he contacted me and and to be frank, I had the same reaction that most people have when you bring up Holmes being the Ripper. I was quite skeptical. Right. And, you know, I, I tried to listen to his evidence and pretty much blew it away, like a lot of people in, in the UK do to my theory now. But he kept after me. And finally, setting that, that skepticism aside, I started looking at his evidence as I would have as a trial lawyer in California, which is what I did for a living before writing the book. And lo and behold, everything he said started making sense, especially the handwriting comparisons and the, the, the linguistics involved in the letters, the Dear Boss and the Saucy Jack letters. And and uh, I started building on his theory, um, spent quite a bit of money trying to, to put two and two together. And now I'm a firm believer, Mike, that H.H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper. And as you, if, if you watch the show, you, you have to admit we have a mountain of circumstantial evidence pointing toward Holmes. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that were he alive today... And if I was still a prosecutor in California, I could go to any Superior Court judge and get a warrant for his arrest to stand trial for the murder of Catherine Eddowes in, in Whitechapel. Yeah, I, I did watch the the show, and I, I found it uh, very, very compelling, uh, all the facts that you were putting out there, and just, you know, the, the travel and how, um, you know, there was that gap of time where... He, 
there was no record of, of homes doing any activity in the Chicago area, and yet you have this travel log um, out there to uh, to London. Um, so I found some of that information very, very compelling, and I, I can't imagine the type of research. I mean, I, I love research and history, so uh, I, I can't imagine what it took to actually dig up some of those records. Well, and, and you know, in history and uh, Magilla Productions. They had a, a team of hundreds of researchers for the show, and everything that I put forward, uh, Vanessa, they would have checked to make sure those facts could stand up under the scrutiny that History Channel shows go, go under when they put them on. And um, I, I, I haven't seen anything which would cause me to change my mind at this point and, and would you know, frustrate me from standing up on any stage in the world and debating the fact that Holmes was Jack the Ripper with any ripperologist, uh, any ripperologist in the world. I actually, I have to agree with that from what I've seen. Um, I did a little research myself because I'm, I'm very fascinated by this by this topic. And what I what I viewed tonight before we got shot because I don't have regular TV. I'm having to find this stuff on YouTube. Um, is I I. Uh, I agree exactly with the timeline. Um, the last evidence of him being in Chicago was in July 1987, I believe it was, 88, uh, and not, no, 1987, 18. July, <laughs> to April 88. So that left August through November completely open, like what you said, to be able to go over there and do the ripple crimes. What I found fascinating, and I wanted to ask you about this, I found two pieces Two things that could coincide together. Um, one, your great great grandmother, I believe her name is Theodora, and uh, she was your great 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 grandmother. She was Herman's mother, and she was born in 1827, and had four children. I could not find any records on any that were deceased. You know that, that didn't live through through uh, childhood, and the time span is 19 years between the first birth and the fourth. And Herman was the third one born when she was 34. He was born in 1861. What I found fascinating that, that coincided with this was a young lady in, 19, in the 1970s found that she was related to the Mudgets. And she went to live or to stay in the same town that Herman was from. And her father had told her, we're, we're, we're all mudgets. I think it was her father. And then when she st stated where she was going to go live, and it's where Herman, H.H. H. Holmes, was from, he says, well, not all mudgets are related. And it made me wonder, is there a possibility that he, that he was adopted, not a blood relative? Well, this is the first I've ever heard of that or a theory like this, it's pretty much, I, I tend to believe, and I haven't seen anything which would cause any doubt, that he was, he was the son of, okay. of, um, of the, you know, the, the mother and father. I, so I don't really know where you're going with that or what evidence you have to back it up. But it's something, if no, you want to send me some material, I'd be happy to take a look. I was just curious about it, just because of the psychoses that he had. Um, with what he did, with the acts that he committed, um, generally some type of depravity like that would show up in a family line, and from what I could find, it never did, which made me wonder, 
you know, yes, he's your great-great-grandfather, absolutely, but complete blood relation. I was just wondering if there was a chance that he that he wasn't blood relation. See, it was just yeah, a, see, we're, getting was into a, we're getting into a subject now, which which I tend I tend to disagree with that that uh, where we have to assume there was a psychosis because of the acts that he committed. I I I've gone the other direction, Vanessa. I tend to think he was an evil human being with an incredible intellect who made choices in his life. Um, and went exactly the direction he wanted to go. So that that thing about psychosis and him having to have had a mental sickness to have been this way, I, I really haven't seen anything which backs that up other than a professor standing on a stage giving a theory about what evil actually is. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting on yeah. pins and needles for someone to help me define that evilness which I think, you know, Herman is the is the prime example of, of maybe how we come to that conclusion and move on beyond just saying someone has a mental sickness because he committed murder. Well, he was quoted, I guess, a, a few different times saying that he was born with the uh, devil on his shoulders. Is that the quote that I'm thinking of? Yeah. Yeah, I was born with the devil in me. I could mm -hmm. no longer help the fact that I was a murderer than the poet could to, to sing. So, I mean, yeah, he, he, he tends, I think, you know, whether, you've got to be cautious about any home statement, Mike, because he was an amazing liar. I mean, well, true, he, yeah. When, when he was lying, he was lying, probably. So it's, it's very difficult to use his quotes to come up with a historical fact. Right, it seems like he was the ultimate con man between, it, it wasn't just all the murders, he had so many different uh, schemes and cons going on, it was, um, I, I imagine, very hard to keep up with everything that he had going on. Yeah, the Chicago Sun called him, the, you know, the most infamous con that ever struck Chicago, and I think they were right. Yeah, yeah, um, and leading into that, uh, we do have a lot of questions in the chat room already. Uh, Megan Talbert asks, um, where did all that money go that uh, that he had received from, from the book and, and all that at the end of his life? But that's a great question, which we have not been able to answer. And at the end, we know I, my great-great-grandmother had a diary, which I've gone over with a magnifying glass and evidently before Herman was Holmes was incarcerated he made a trip up to New Hampshire to visit to visit Clara my, my great-great-grandmother um, he stayed with her and the child for a while which was shocking to me I because the family had long believed that he had abandoned them and they had gone their separate ways and she had married another man okay so she stayed with him, and then when he was in prison, she came to visit him, oh, really? and then made and then made three separate trips to Chicago. Where, oh, that's really interesting. I don't think people really know oh, this. Well, and if if we could actually go back and get his banking records, we might have figured out why his only legal wife went to Chicago three times while he was in prison. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that in of itself is uh, really kind of. Crazy, yeah. He had the one legal wife, but he had two others that he married. So yeah, and then hundreds of mistresses. Yeah, right. Of course, of course. That's very telling. That makes you wonder if she didn't know where things were hidden. If, if there wasn't some type of, of hidden correspondence between the two of them, 
even though he had moved on, if even maybe he was maybe trying to, I don't know, leave it to her or help. Well, after he quote unquote passed away, <laughs> she um, lived in a, a large house with a big piece of land in New Hampshire, which no one has been able to answer to my father or my satisfaction how she came about that property. Interesting. And that would be quite difficult for a woman in those times. Extremely. Wow. Speaking that of uh, speaking of him passing away. I know there's a, a lot of controversy at the end of the show, and I, I know from my own viewing of it, um, you have the bones all out on the table, and you're, you know, they're, you know, she's laying out the discrepancies to you in the the structure of the skeleton that's before you, and the you know accepted description that we have of of H. H. Holm over all all these years, and then at the very end, there's like a little quick blurb of. Uh, this DNA evidence and the show's over. That's it. So, what happened there, Jeff? Mike, I'm trying to find out what happened. As as probably you and Vanessa were, if if Vanessa got to watch that final episode, I I found the first 50 minutes to be some of the greatest television I'd ever seen, and and the viewership supports that. I mean, we have oh, yeah. two million view two million viewers with DVR recording included. And then that last minute was shockingly disappointed to me. And Mike, I got to tell you, and your and your listeners, I had no say over content or edit, and I had no idea. As a matter of fact, I had been told the ending was going to be me stating the DNA and dental records show inconclusive results. And that we need to continue this investigation to determine who was actually buried there. And then they changed at the last minute. And I've requested the DNA records they talk about. I've never seen any DNA test results, Mike. Wow. And I've I've asked for the dental records they mentioned because I'm unaware of any any dental records. I am aware of a photograph of a mold that was taken of the teeth of the cadaver after the execution before the burial. Okay. And that and that mold was compared against the teeth of the skull that we exhumed and the professor from the of, of, of dental science science I guess they call it. He he made the the estimation and in his judgment that the teeth on the skull matched the mold. But as you know, Mike, what we were trying to prove or disprove was whether there was a switch of bodies before the burial occurred. So determining that the teeth matched what was buried did nothing for our investigation. And that's why the DNA was so critical. So I'm right now waiting for someone to give me DNA test results so that when I go on a show like yours, I can say... Wait a minute, I was wrong. It's the DNA matched the DNA they took from my body, and it was H.H. H. Holmes. Or I can say, wait a minute, this was the greatest fraud that was ever committed in American criminal justice. Yeah, that's... Now, that's as, go ahead, Vanessa. As a living relative, don't you have a right to ask for that? And don't they have... Uh, isn't it necessary? Aren't they legally bound to provide that to you? Yeah, they are, and I'm trying to be gentle with it. You know, we're only a couple of weeks away from that last episode. I've asked them nicely for it. I'm going to wait for those results. And if I'm uh, unsuccessful in that request, then I'll take the next step. 
Okay. That's what I was curious about. She had a legal right, so. <laughs> you know this. You were a trial lawyer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. It's, just, it's just, you know, when you're in this, the entertainment world is, I, I knew nothing of it before I, I was, uh, you know, signed to work with them on American Ripper. And um, I've learned quite a bit about it. And it's, it's very different than what we all expect it to be when we turn on History Channel. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying to, trying to work with the team to see that we get the best results out to the American people. But now, now History's decided they're not going to renew the second season, which oh. was disappointing to me. But, uh, you know, that's, that's their decision based on budget and advertising and how much money they made or lost. And those are things I'll never find out. Yeah, and that, and that was a question that came up in the chat room is whether or not there was going to be a uh, season two. That is very disappointing because uh, it seems like there's a, a lot more leads to continue to work with. So it, without a season two, uh, where do you go? I, I imagine personally you're, you're going to continue the search. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine Mike and Vanessa... Say I eventually end up with the DNA and it shows inconclusive, which in itself establishes my theory because we're talking about a paternal line from me, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and then Herman. And anyone that knows DNA knows the most accurate line to test is the paternal line with no maternal breaks. Right. So if that DNA is inconclusive, We've established that there was a switch of the body, and, and when you listen and when you read the articles, did, did either one of you read any of the interviews that the scientists from the University of Pennsylvania gave the Associated Press? Uh, I've read some different articles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, she, she, she came out and said they, they couldn't use the DNA to identify them. They used the teeth. Yep. And the, the DNA had decayed to such an extent that it was worthless to them in their determination, which was shocking to me because I'd always been under the impression when you dig up a body and you have a skull, I mean, I held it in my hand. Yeah. And, and I saw these scientists drilling for the DNA powder that they sent to London to be tested and compared against mine. I always thought, you know, well, we're going to find out, yes or no, but evidently it's not that uh, black and white. Well, but here's the thing, Jeff. I'm a dental assistant, and I deal with teeth all the time, which are just so happen to be in the skull. And I am curious. You say they have molds of the teeth. The teeth were attached in the skull. Did they, by any chance, just drill into the skull, or did they drill into the teeth as well? Because you have a higher chance of having pulp tissue in the molar teeth, in the back teeth, that would still have viable DNA tissue in it. You know, that's a, that's a great point, and that's what's coming up now. Why didn't you go... See, everything we did, Vanessa, had to be with the approval of the judge and who ordered the exhamation. And he had, he had made an earlier, you know, statement that this was to be put back the way we found it, absolutely, when we were finished determining identity. And so when I... So when I went to the scientists at the University of Pennsylvania, I asked, did you take a tooth from the skull and, and you know, and keep it so that when we reinterred the body, we have something else to compare DNA with? And evidently they didn't. Wow. We do have That's a, uh, since we're talking about the corpse, 
So we're talking about the buy. We do have a uh, question from the chat room about that from Rebecca Gardner. Uh, do you find it odd that there was no skeletal disfigurement for a corpse that had been hung? Absolutely, man. You, you guys have got some great <laughs> questions tonight. Um, when I walked in to the laboratory at the University of Pennsylvania and saw the skeleton on the table, the first question out of my co-host's mouth, Amaryllis Fox, the, the CIA-trained investigator, she, she asked, wait a minute, he was hung by the neck, he was dropped through a scaffold. Why isn't there any damage to the neck vertebrae? Uh-huh. And, and they, they had some kind of wishy-washy back and forth stuff that was very unsatisfying to Amaryllis and I because when we walked out of the laboratory, we went down to the local Starbucks and we're sitting there and both of us had really, really big problems with the fact that that neck wasn't damaged. Yeah, it, it, it seemed like the excuse that was given, you know, what they showed on the show, uh, it, you're right, it did seem very, very uh, wishy-washy, and what it was not satisfactory as far as an answer. You know? And to me, as a viewer, you know, that told me that, well, there's an, another, you know, feather in your cap for, you know, for your theory, because it, it just seemed like more inconclusive, you know, evidence that this body was that of H.H. Of H. Holmes. Um and I agree with you. And I tell you, when you walked into the lab and saw the skeleton, Mike, it was not the quote-unquote debonair, handsome, elegant man that the papers characterized Holmes as while he was at his trial. It looked like an orangutan skeleton. And you could see the scientists even started discussing how thick mm -hmm. the bones were, indicating right. this muscle mass of flesh around them. And that wasn't Holmes at all. Yes, yeah, so a shorter, stockier uh, type of guy, where he was a little bit, you know, taller and definitely leaner. You look at all the photographs of him; uh, he's definitely on the lean side. I want to say that Jeff, even if it is an orangutan, it is it is a biological fact that if you come from an ethnic background, African American, Indian, um, things, you know, people of that nature, that your bone density is much, much, much thicker, okay, your jaw is different, um, the way the way that your forearms and, 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 you know, everything, all of those muscles are thicker, they're stronger, and so it's very easy now, and that's probably why the scientists were looking at that body, because it's very easy now, you can look at a skeletal structure and determine ethnicity, for the most part, so if you, you can, and you can determine that by photograph, actually. So if you have a photograph of the skeleton, then you can actually take that to a third party. And, and they can give you some semblance of determination on that as well. But for you to say that the bones are so thick, that does not match what I know biologically of the man that I see in the pictures at all. I completely agree with you. The scientists at the University of Penn have assured me that they've taken amazing photographs. Even They're even conducting some programming where it's going to be in a three-dimensional uh, graphic that uh, the world will be able to see the home skeleton, you know, 3D. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of good material there. I know that I've had a number of scientists and doctors call me now and tell me there's no way that skeleton shrunk three or four inches yeah, in, right. in, the, in the concrete sarcophagus. So it's, there's so many questions, which, you know, 
I, we need answer, and quite frankly, in our day, DNA pretty much controls everything. Right. And until I see those results, which you know were taken months ago, and it's a three-day test, I, I, you know, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to try to take deep breaths and see what comes up. But I'm with you completely, Mike. When I was watching the show, <laughs> and I'm the co-host of the show, right? I was shocked at the ending. Yeah, absolutely. It was just it just seemed very anticlimactic. You know, all this build up to you know refuting the you know the size and the stature and the bone structure of this of this skeleton, and all of a sudden just a little you know blip up on the screen, and it's like, what was that? Uh, we do have another question from the uh, from our Mad Hatters, our, our audience here, uh, from Cat Gash. Uh, what has been the most shocking fact to date for you in this case? Yeah, there's one that uh, just chilled, chilled my bones. Uh, when we were in Irvington, Indiana, and we were determining uh, the location of the little boy's bones mm. in the in the uh, house yard, when the historian came up and described how Holmes had the day before he murdered and dismembered the little boy, had taken him by the hand and walked from the house down to the cutlery where he had the technician there sharpen the knives he was going to use to cut the little boy to death the next day. That image, you know, of pure premeditation, uh, you know, I, I know... I'd, I'd gotten through the story for years. I decided it was my destiny to reveal as much of the truth as I could to people. And that moment, it was like, wow, this is my great-great-grandfather. And that is as horrible as I've ever heard. Yeah, that's... I remember it saying in the first episode what I got to watch on YouTube is he was known for taking children's bodies, infants' bodies from the medical school home for the weekend. I remember really? hearing it, just listening to that, and just that chilled me to the bone. So to hear what you just said, to know that might have been something that he was thinking about all that time, and then got to live out with a living child is just, I, yeah, that's, you're right, honey, he's evil. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, I, I, and, and you're right, Jeff. That was definitely a very, very uh, chilling uh, moment on the show. Um, Megan uh, Talbert is also asking, were there any uh, factors that you weren't able to share on the show uh, that could support H.H. H. Holmes being Jack the Ripper? We, I don't know if any of your listeners have watched my, my presentation at TED Talks in Vancouver stood up on stage and swore my audience in. It's on YouTube. They can go find it if they Google TEDx Vancouver and Jeff Mudgett and H.H. Holmes. And I was able to present the computer program results of the handwriting comparison. And the numbers came out so amazingly similar to the computer. See, and what, what happens, Mike, when you deal with Jack the Ripper, everyone has their own theory about who he is. And 
as soon as another author raises another theory about the identity of Jack the Ripper, that bias and preconceived notion that all human beings carry with them kicks in and makes it very difficult to talk someone into that theory. But when we gave it to the computer at the University of Buffalo, that computer came back and said, yep, that's the same handwriting. And for some reason, history and the production company were not able to talk that company at the University of Buffalo into going on the air with us to show their results on oh, wow. air. And that, that's, that has disappointed me greatly. But you know what, like, I, like I'm telling you and Vanessa right now, anybody can Google up TEDx Vancouver and they'll find that uh, my presentation and watch, watch what the computer spits out because I can tell you as I was on that stage and there's three or 4,000 people in front of me, every one of them went silent seeing the results from that program. Yeah, that, that's really different because what was shown on the show as far as the handwriting analysis was inconclusive, but you're saying that there is a separate test out there um, by this other organization that you have. Uh, I'm definitely going to check out this YouTube video, uh, but yeah. that, that sounds like it was conclusive. Uh, there, there was no doubt in my mind that the computer was saying, this is the same. Now, would it have gone? To, would it have stood up in court to prove beyond a reasonable doubt? I, I don't know, but I got to tell you, in, in, when you when you give a TED talk, Vanessa, you had 18 minutes, and and then he cut my my description of Holmes being Jack the Ripper down to nine minutes because they wanted me to describe H. H. Holmes the first nine minutes. So here you're trying to solve the world's greatest cold case in nine minutes, and that's not easy. That's almost impossible. But it wasn't just his handwriting that was pretty much dead on balls accurate for the computer. It was his vernacular as well. Which oh, I mean, do you remember the two linguists on episode four, the <laughs> two renowned English linguists who studied Dear Boss and came to the conclusion, which is the same conclusion that Scotland Yard had when they first saw Dear Boss, was that it was an American trying to sound English. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, our vernacular... Unless you're an actor, unless you're theatrically trained, our vernacular is innate to us as our fingerprints, the way that we speak. You know, and I don't think people realize how important of information that is. That's really important, especially back in that time. And 100%. And I've always believed that whoever wrote Dear Boss and the Saucy Jack, which... Uh, Mike, a lot of people are skipping over because, you know, they're waiting for pure evidence that um, Holmes was the Ripper. But that, that handwriting expert that, as you correctly stated, for some reason came back with an inconclusive uh, theory. He also stated that the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jack postcard were written by the same hand. And that was a revelation in, in, yeah. in the language of Jack the Ripper because for over 100 years... People have theorized that the one was not connected to the other, and they were both hoaxes. And I think we went a long way to disproving that on the show. Yeah, you did, and that was really interesting because uh, over the years, you know, and there were a lot of uh, Jack the Ripper hoax letters back then. And, and so over the years, it's always been speculated is that I, the question that I had uh, about the handwriting analysis that was shown on the show, um, if, if I recall correctly, he'd used a sample of Holmes's writing from uh, earlier uh, in his years, and then one from a little bit later. 
but what struck me was why not use one in the middle, like more around the time frame that he would have been uh, making that trip to uh, England. That's a great point. Uh, I can tell you this. The people that were watching that conclusion by that handwriting expert are <laughs> contacting me almost every day now. And the University of Michigan archivist has been submitting to me other samples of Holmes's writing, which they think much is much better example to have compared against Dear Boss than the one we used on the show. So yeah, I'm thinking if he did, you know, all these. Still, it's still bubbling up. Yeah, I'm thinking if he, you know, he was making all these deals, doing all these business transactions, doing all these kinds. There's going to be a lot of uh, samples of his handwriting from around that time frame. So I just, it's it just something that stood out to me during the show. Um, uh, we are having another question. Yeah, in the we have a lot of them. Go ahead. Yeah, we have a lot. Uh, this, but it's been asked a couple of times, and they're asking, um, why were the medical instruments that were found um, in the box of pictures not tested for DNA? Now, it would have been difficult to get, but I understand the question. Do you have an answer on that, Jeff? No, and quite frankly, I never I never considered that, and I don't think the production company did. They would have been wiped clean thousands of times, probably over the time span that, you know, they in their existence. I do tell you this, the fact that they were English, you know, instruments of very high quality always struck me as, as incredible evidence, not conclusive, but incredible evidence that, you know, Holmes went to London and collected some instruments to bring home for his work. Well, absolutely, because if he had, if those had been shipped to him, if he had ordered those in some way, there might have been some type of paper trail implying that. But if there was not, if there was no evidence of them being sent to him, then the only way that he could acquire those, for the most part, would be to, to go overseas and get that. That would, you know... That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, interesting question from the chat here uh, from Donna. Um, she'd like to know if uh, Holmes's daughter knew who he was as an adult. I'm not aware of Holmes having a daughter. He had a son. Okay. That was my great-grandfather. Now, he could have had children from the many, you know, mistresses that he had that we haven't run down or had someone being willing to step up to admit who they were or maybe they don't know Mike but I'm not aware of a daughter okay alright I just yeah that kind of struck me but I wanted to throw it out there for you <laughs> uh, so. yeah I don't remember seeing that either yeah that's alright uh, I know we have a few others let me scroll back up um, and that was the one we just read and Oh, I know. I I go ahead and throw the uh, questions back in there, guys. I know I just scrolled past it somewhere. It's a little hard <laughs> to keep up. Well, because there's so many people talking, so. Um, oh, no, there's a lot in there. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Let me see. I'll see if I can go back and see some. Oh, Allie uh, was wondering, um, and it, I guess it's kind of it's kind of a in general question. Um, you know, all these people from back then have been gone for so long, why is it so difficult to bring all this information to light these days? In a general, uh, in a general fashion or specifically related to Holmes? Specifically related to Holmes. Um, 
this was a master con man. Uh, he had a lawyer that was, you know, worked with him tightly on his alibis and frauds. Um, if Holmes wanted something hidden, he knew how to do it, and he was a master chess player with life. So he would have thought ahead. Um, that's why when people asked me about Holmes and, and my conclusions regarding this, this horrible man, I'm always hesitant, Vanessa, because he is of an IQ and intellect that um, I was on a show the other day and they were asking me if, Jeff, you know, what would have been some of the questions you would have asked Holmes had he taken the stand in trial for murder and you were the prosecuting attorney? And quite frankly, that would have been perhaps the most difficult cross-examination of my career because this man, as he answered your questions, was four or five steps ahead. So when you ask about documents and why they don't exist to prove how many people he murdered or, or how he reduced the bodies to zero remains, that, that's, those are tough to answer. And they really are. And not, not to mention the fact that five of the bodies that he claimed to kill, actually, he didn't. So he was even, in my opinion, thinking ahead knowing he wasn't going to be around, possibly, to throw people off. It's, it's, it's almost as if he wanted the chess game to continue after he was gone. Yeah, and, then, you know, and they have all the shows I go on now, Vanessa, they all want to know, well, how many people do you think Holmes murdered? I have no idea. There's, there's Chicago historians that think it was 9, 13, 27, 52, uh, Eric Larson, 200. I have no idea. All, all I know is this. This man knew how to murder a human being and then reduce the remains so that evidence could not be found to prosecute him for murder. Yeah, it always well, seemed extremely that. speculative to try to come up with a number. I mean, you could throw a number out there and you might be right, but you're probably wrong. Um, there's no way to really know. Um, yeah, and, it, and does it really matter, Mike? I, I don't, you know, we just... He was a murderer, those innocent, yeah. <laughs> those innocent victims, we need to try to identify them the best way we can. That's why I'm never going to give up yeah. demanding that the federal government allow me to excavate the, 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 the post office grounds at 63rd and Wallace in Chicago right. to see see if we can determine DNA and hopefully try to, try to work it backwards to where we could, you know, let those innocent victims rest properly. Yeah, that would be fantastic if you're ever able to get that permission. I mean, right now that spot is just, it, I guess it's the parking lot and then that lawn that's there. Uh -huh. and, we, and we could do it, Mike, without interfering with post office officer, uh, operations, absolutely. Right, right. Um, something that, well, uh, I had a question. Say... Sorry, Vanessa. Um, something well, I had a, a question about when I watched the, uh, the first episode um, was, because I've seen other documentaries on H.H. On Holmes, and a, a couple of them have mentioned uh, that he was bullied while he was a child, but that wasn't brought up in your show. Was that something that you came across uh, during research, and was there a specific reason why something like that was left out of the show? No, I, you know, it, it comes down to, to, Mike, you have 41 minutes or so mm -hmm. to put an episode together, and you have so many people working on what they think the viewers want to watch and the advertisers want to buy the time for in between and I, I really don't have any way of answering that that question accurately because I would like I said I wasn't part of content or edit alright so that came down to just editing alright yeah that's fair yeah. enough 
Go ahead, Vanessa, you got something. Said, Jeff, just a minute ago, this, uh, it brings forth a question that they've been asking in the chat room, and that is, why would anyone, including the local or federal government, not want these cases to be solved? Now, I have my own theory on that, but I would love to know what yours is. Well, I know exactly why, Vanessa. It's when they bought the property in 1937, they knew what the building was. They knew the legends and the lore and the titles that that building had been given by the locals. The post office, it was, it was very convenient for them at that location because of the rail lines and the junctions and they could move mail back and forth through Chicago right at that spot. And the federal government knew it was against the law for them to buy, buy that land, tear down that building, fill in the holes, and then build a post office over the top without investigating the murders that had happened there. And as in so, so many things about Chicago history, <laughs> Chicago history is the strangest place in America, trust me. That seems to have a okay, lot of dark so history. <laughs> But, but that's something that our viewers need to know is he is 100% correct in that if there was even the slightest chance, and I know this because of the case I was just working on, if there was even the slightest chance that there are any human remains, regardless of how old, on that property, it was illegal to put up a building without excavation first by either scientists or police, period. Well, and I, I think you and Mike, you know, should be commended because shows like yours, us talking about this subject right now, if we touch the right viewers and they know that what we're talking about is that there's a, a violation of the law right now that an excavation, a criminal forensic investigation of the grounds is not committed now because, as, as you both know, there's no statute of limitations for murder. Right. Um, that, that, has, that has to be done eventually. And, and when your listeners help me with that by, you know, maybe supporting my efforts by buying a copy of the book, I'm going to continue pushing ahead. So that's I, I really want to thank you both. Oh, absolutely. And here you go, guys. Here's a... Uh Here's a screenshot of Jeff's book, Bloodstained. So, um, you know, go ahead and pick that up. I, I haven't picked it up myself yet, but I am going to absolutely. It's got to be an absolutely fascinating read. So, um, go pick that up. And so, Jeff, where is that uh, right now? Was that completely shut down? Uh, your petition uh, to dig there, or is there still a glimmer of hope for that? No, I, it, it'll eventually it will happen, Mike. I was hoping with American Ripper when the viewing public saw how scientifically we conducted the exhumation and how we made sure it didn't turn into a media circus and how the body was returned as the judge ordered. I was hoping that the federal government and the, the authorities that who have the say would agree that you know a further investigation was needed and that we were the right people to do it. But as of yet, I haven't heard anything back from uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. And um, on top of that, uh, Diane Hilbert has a uh, question in the chat room about the uh, cement blocks that were uh, detected in the water there in the river. Um, whatever happened to uh, hauling up those objects? Another great question, and that's, that's another part of Chicago unhistory, I call it. Uh, Ray Johnson, ex-detective from Chicago, came up with the facts that Holmes had owned that concrete factory next to the Chicago River. 
except that he had never sold concrete. Right. And Ray's theory was that Holmes had taken bodies to the side of the river, had fit them into coffin-shaped concrete blocks and then taken them out in the middle of the night and dropped them into the Chicago River or the Great Lake and they had sunk into the silt. And that's why Magilla and History decided, with, with my co-host's um, push, um, she was fascinated with that subject mm-hmm. the most. And we went out with the sonar and the, and the engineers, you know, the, the divers, and lo and behold, we, we found some evidence about concrete blocks. So when we did, we went to the city, we went to the state, we went to the federal government. You've got to get permission from all three, Mike. Okay. And all and all three said no. Yeah. Of course they did. <laughs> I mean, it's... That's I'm frustrated for you. Yeah. yeah I mean, and they, they're worried about... The bottom of the Chicago River, I would imagine, and I'm not an engineer, I'm not a, uh, I have no knowledge of chemicals or toxics, but I would be willing to bet a cold beer that there are problems with that silt. Oh, I imagine so. Who knows what's been dumped in there over the years. I remember watching a fascinating documentary um, on the, you know, filthiest cities and just you know, what they did to their rivers over the years. So I can imagine Chicago's probably along the same lines. So, uh, another question that came up was uh, from Rebecca Gardner. Could the Chicago mob have anything to do with helping the government cover these things up? That's, that's a fascinating question. It would be pure speculative on my part, but right. I quite frankly tend to believe that the Chicago mob had things to do with most everything that happened in Chicago in that period of time from the 1890s through the 1940s and I wouldn't be surprised yeah <laughs> they had their hands in everything didn't they Cat uh, Gash is asking um, uh, what happened to Holmes assistance and how many are the authorities aware of great question well he murdered the one um, yeah, he had talked. He had talked the man. Yeah, Peitzel. He had talked the man into a, a life insurance fraud, which was Holmes's specialty. I mean, this man was making a fortune on life insurance frauds, and evidently they had had. My my theory is this: that they had had an argument that Holmes knew that Peitzel was getting a leg up on him that could affect his freedom. And he decided that while they conducted this life insurance fraud using Peitzel's body, that he was going to kill two birds with one stone and he murdered him. Wow. Yeah, and um, I I guess Kat's question, uh, to follow up a little bit, were there any more, any other assistants? I know he had a, a, a couple, but... As far as like any others that were, were known that he may have, uh, you know, done something to. Oh sure, sure, and then and uh, you know what uh, what history fails to tell, Mike, is how many of the women in Holmes's life were involved knowingly in his crimes as well. And right. I would I would love one day to maybe write a sequel and focus on the women in Holmes's life who there's a great there's a great. Uh, a story written by one of the major papers during the trial.
trial when when Holmes when the jury came back with their determination and the judge rendered his sentence. The paper described Holmes being led off in the and the four or five women in the audience that were associated with him intimately just crying crocodile tears as they saw their man being let off despite the fact they now knew and they, and they had known before in my opinion knew what he was how evil he was and that the woman next to them crying tears also was just as intimate with this monster as she was right yeah it seemed like he had a penchant for luring in these these women taking advantage of them then murdering them later on um no. I disagree with that, Mike. I don't think it's taken advantage of them. I mean, let's face it, really? us, women, <laughs> us women are not known for our smarts when it comes to the fellas. And it is not uncommon, even in this day and age, for women to become enamored with a man on death row, knowing exactly what he did. And, um, uh, Jeff, you talk about possibly writing a sequel. I believe one of his, uh, was it his second wife? That he was doing business with her, passing things along to her mother? Was it his second wife or was that his third wife? I don't know about that, Vanessa. I would give, give me some more facts. Um, I, it's something about um, the uh, when they were going through the paper documents. And when y'all were going through the paper documents and sitting there and looking at that time before, what would have been the river time in, in life? Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I re the, now I'm recalling now, yeah. The, the daughter right. and the mother were both involved with Holmes, yeah. That was, uh, that, was a that was a fascinating part of the story that I was never quite able to answer completely other than, you know, reading the theories of other authors about Holmes. And quite frankly, the more I deal with Holmes in the story, I, I tend to discount theories and, and you know, basically stories about Holmes from authors who, who've gone through Google and found an article or a piece from a newspaper article in the 1890s, which as we dug through Vanessa in order to produce American Ripper, the majority of them were just flat out wrong. Uh -huh. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling those two women knew exactly what they were doing. Oh yeah, I agree. Yes, most de even to go so far as being lures. So well, that's why, you know, the director and I discussed if he had more time, he would have liked to have done an episode about the women in Holmes's life and how history had tended to write them off as these innocent young things that had no idea what was going on around them. And, and he and I completely disagreed. Yeah, they were not innocent. <laughs> Just my opinion, Jeff. Just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting down toward the uh, end of the show, Jeff. Um, something I'm kind of curious about before we uh, we wrap it up. Okay, so the uh, the body was exhumed. You have an open grave. So what's going on with that? Are the are the bones being returned to the grave? Uh, where's that stand right now? He's already been reinterred. Okay. Uh, whoever that is, it's back in the grave at Holy Cross in uh, out in Yaton, outside of Philadelphia. And uh, it was done very properly, for what from what I hear. I wasn't there when they when they reburied the body. And uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, uh, Catholic Church insisted on a, a coffin uh, okay. because there were obviously all when we dug him up, Mike, we found a fake coffin. Yeah, that was really over interesting. The, over the top of the concrete sarcophagus where the body actually.
actually was. Yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting, the, the fake coffin, I guess, you know, to throw off grave robbers, apparently, is what I'm guessing. Uh, you know, that's that's one of those things when, when you start trying to speculate, speculate on why sure. that was, you get into that Holmes mind, and uh, I, I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to try to figure out what he was thinking. Well, it's certainly to throw off somebody somewhere, because throwing, putting a fake coffin in there is... You're you're being manipulative. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. I agree with you 100. percent And when you read his instructions about how he wanted the body buried, it's uh, it's quite fascinating just to go through piece by piece. And I wish they would have given us a two-hour special at the end to just carry out the burial and then our exhumation. Yeah, and. What was included was actually really fascinating, um, digging down there and then the examination afterward. And, and digging into the different layers, I thought was just just really, really fascinating. So, I, you know, hats off to you with everything that you've done uh, with American Ripper, with your book, and your continuing investigation. So, um, well, thank, thank you very much. I, I'm quite proud, Mike and Vanessa, that, you know, on TV today you see so many shows where authors stand up and give their theory and then the production company creates a, a recreation using actors about what may or may not have happened. We actually went, spent a year getting permission, had the engineers, the money behind us, and then dug up the grave to find what was really there and then had the greatest scientists and anthropologists in the world make a determination of what we found. And I, I really think if, if someone just watches the show along those lines, you'll learn a lot about engineering and science, the law, a lot of the subjects that we all have that all play a, that, that play a part in all of our lives one way or another. Oh, yeah, you definitely got an uh, excellent cross-section of, uh, of many different fields. So it, I was fascinated throughout, and so I definitely recommend... Uh, American Ripper. Uh, you can watch it on the History Channel uh, on their website and uh, go check out Jeff's uh, YouTube videos as, as well and his book, definitely. So where can they find you, Jeff? Uh, you, can get, you can find me and my material at www.bloodstainsthebook.com and uh, I've got a great team that'll help out any of your listeners that they've got specific questions about Holmes and what happened to him and his body and, and uh, we're always glad to, to take those questions and answer the best of our abilities. Fantastic. Um, Vanessa, any final thoughts? I'm, I'm going to let Jeff go and then we'll wrap it up with, uh, with our audience with the Mad Hatter. Yeah, I, I've loved it. I thank you so much for coming on. This has absolutely been fascinating and I can't wait to finish all of it. I'm going to go through with a fine-tooth comb because I love this stuff. <laughs> uh, there was a, a question about how to get a signed copy of the book. Oh, yeah. You know, if, you go to, uh, if you go to the website I just mentioned, you can request a signed copy, and for a limited time, we're, we're giving them out at no extra cost, Mike, so it's a good time for your listeners, if they'd like a signed copy, to jump in. All right. There you go. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Really do appreciate it, and, um, yeah, I'll definitely catch up with you some more later, because that's... Uh, You've absolutely fascinated me these uh, past couple months. <laughs> this is awesome. I love before, before it. We go, before we go, can I mention, i I, yeah. I got to tell you, I do hundreds of these shows, and Mike and Vanessa, I thought the way your show was laid out, how you brought the questions into the interview while we were going through it, was one of the best that I've uh, been a part of yet. Very good. Well, thank you, Jeff. really do appreciate that. that. That's you know an absolute honor for, for you to say that. 
And so, good night. All right, have a good night. Good night. Bye. Oh, I teared up a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, that was no, that was absolutely great. So yeah, we really do appreciate having Jeff on the show. Um, thank you, everybody. I, I hope we got to all the questions. It, the chat was kind of flying by. We may have missed a few. Um, so I apologize to anybody if, if we missed some questions in there. Uh, we, we tried to throw as many out there as we could. I wrote some down over here as we were going along to, uh, to try to keep up. So, um, yeah, so let's get into any, any other thoughts, Vanessa, before we get to the shout-outs? <laughs> I'm just, I'm fascinated. I want to go and see every single second of every bit of it and start looking things up because I really do believe he's onto something. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of the uh, correlation that uh, that he makes between H.H. Um, H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper, I, there are some really uncanny things that just start making you think, wow, there really could be something to this. I mean, just... It's just even that time gap, and you know, Shauna and I are really big on you know digging up old records, getting into like the old history books, and you know finding out you know like a timeline of events, getting old maps, all that stuff, and just that huge gap in the records um, of H. H. Holmes in Chicago because he was doing you know business transactions, business all these transactions that are, they're all along. at least two, three a week. Yeah, and then all of a sudden. Boom, they just disappear, and all of a sudden, you do have a Holmes traveling to London, and the stuff with Jack the Ripper happens. Um, there's a, you know, a lot of evidence about how it was a skilled surgeon that committed these murders, which Holmes was. Um, so just that alone uh, was really, really compelling to me. And there's, a, you know, of course, a lot more uh, evidence that they presented throughout the show. So It was fascinating. He's a fascinating individual. Oh, Jeff is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, whew, okay. <laughs> I know we got started a little bit late, guys, um, so I do apologize for that. Um, stuff happens. <laughs> we do the best that we can to get things done on time here, and uh, so we do appreciate the patience of getting, I think it was like maybe five or ten minutes late, so we apologize for that. Um, so, um, Zoe's asking you, Vanessa, what did you pick up? I, I believe he's on to something. I really do. Um, and I was feeling that when I was watching the episode on YouTube mm -hmm. before we started the show, the thing, just like you, the thing that really got me was that time gap. Yeah. That's really got me. The only thing, the only thing that makes me question to a certain degree is because he was so young. But his intellect more than makes up for his lack of years in, in, in maturity. So well, he was definitely it, it, intelligent, and he's he'd been conning people all of his life. All of his life, well, he'd been conning not, people. So he not yeah. just book smart; he was cunning. Yeah, I mean, wait, he was committing insurance fraud on these bodies when he was still in college. Exactly. <laughs> you know? That's crazy. Exactly. Crazy, crazy stuff. So I, I am. I'm going to go over. Everything. I'm going to watch every episode. I'm going to go over all the paperwork that I can find on it. But do I believe that he is onto something? I I absolutely do. Especially when you throw in the medical tools that were made in Europe, when there were plenty of places here in the states that would make those if he had bought them and had them yeah. shipped. 
it would have, there would have been a paper trail. There yeah, a paper and, trail and that's something that they thing. that's something they mentioned during the show is that with the medical tools, there's plenty of places around the United States to get medical tools, you know, even locally um, to him. So to have the you know specialized medical tools from um, from England, uh, very you know that's another compelling fact. It was you know really sad. Uh, that was a very sad part of the show about the uh, about the little boy and actually going down and getting the knives sharpened and all that at that time. So that's um, you know, it just, you know, it's really intriguing. It pulls at your heartstrings, and um, so there's an emotional pull as well as the whole, you know, curiosity of the matter as well. So, hi. Okay. So, Mad Hatters. <laughs> Bless them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you guys are fantastic. You have some great questions. Um, yeah, I, I thought, you know, I mean, Jeff was very receptive to everything that you guys had to ask, so... Um, let's, let's give you guys your proper due. So, um, I'll just start right here. Kerry Parrish, thanks again, uh, for tuning in. Robert White, all the way from Australia. Um, thank you for watching, and, you know, spoilers, well, I, I'm sorry, it's history, man. <laughs> yeah, there are um, no spoilers. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, it's, it, they're going to happen throughout the show, because we talked about a lot of aspects of the show. Zoe Small, thank you very much. Doing Zippy, thank you. I know you were in here early. Uh, Rebecca Gardner, um, you know, hey, I gotta throw this out here real quick, okay? Because um, this bringing Jeff on, um, you know, watching the show and all that stuff. Um, I have three people uh, to attribute that to. Um, it started with Rob Guttrow. He um, he's been reposting our Friday Night Ghost Rites for the past couple of months. And he reposted the one that uh, we did on H.H. Holmes last fall. And um, when I shared his reposting of that, um, it was uh, Rebecca Gardner and Kia Presley that said, Hey, that's the new American Ripper show. Very, very cool. Go watch it. Um, and upon that recommendation, um, I did. And so uh, there you go. I got I to gotta thank all three of those people for, for that. So... Um, it was. I've been intrigued by the H.H. Holmes for a while. Um, I haven't done anywhere near the research that Jeff has done, of course, but in my little bit, um, it's um, it has been very, very intriguing. And hey, go watch that Friday Night Ghost Rides. There's a very cool overlay of the Murder Castle onto uh, the post office area. That's that's worth looking at. Um, okay, other people to give a shout out for. I know we need to get back to that. Um, of course, our chat shenanigator, Shauna. Um, thank you very much for. For holding up the chat down there. I know there was a lot being thrown your way. Um, so thank you, my love. Um, Don, spooky sick. spectacular. What's that? <laughs> What's that, Vanessa? So y'all just make me sick. <laughs> well, we're in love. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> um, Andrew Cubbage, thank you as always for freaking out. Luli Tubi, um, thank you. Um, Bonnie Halperin, Thank you, one of our um, Cheshire Cats. Uh, our Cheshire Cats are uh, Bonnie Halperin, uh, Tammy Sifford, and Donna Gordon. Um, Allie Thomas, thank you for your questions tonight and for hanging out. Tammy Heitzman, thank you. Uh, Charmy Babes and Shits, uh, thank you as well. Um, Lynn's White, thank you. Um, Soulful Seeker, thank you very much. Um, I know we got a lot of, there was, the chat was full tonight. Uh, Megan Talbert, 
Thank you for your questions. You did have quite a few. Um, who else do we have? Chipper Terry, thank you. Um, Diane Hilbert, thank you as well. You had some questions tonight too. Um, see, I already did get Andrew. Uh, well, and was Andrew Cox in the house tonight? I'm pretty sure he was. Yes, I think okay. so. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not seeing him here. He's probably further up. He's usually in. Cat uh, Gash, thank you for your questions as well. Thanks for hanging out tonight. Um, Ether Shadow, thank you as well. Ethers. Uh, okay, and there's Joanne Rubino. Thank you. Who else do we have? Um, Zippy, I already got. Um, I did get Allie. You seen anybody? I mean, we had a lot of people, so. Um, we had a ton of people. Oh, and I, I want to give a shout out to those who were co congratulating me on my vape. I'm trying to quit with the regular cigarettes. This is my attempt. I appreciate your support. Love y'all. Awesome. Go for it. Um, Holly Go Lightly. Thank you. Um, Kathy Salento, or Salento. I, I always screw up your last name. But Kathy, thank you. <laughs> um, else did we have? You guys were awesome tonight, by the way. Just I, I know I keep saying that, but you really were. And Vanessa keeps saying it, too. So um, Anybody else? Go ahead. I'm going to screw all the way back down, so throw out a me, 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 if you really want it. Uh, I know. <laughs> Fran Molino, thank you very much. Anybody else? Neil317. That's up. Duh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. Sorry. It's, it's very hot in here with these lights. <laughs> um, who else? Um, let's see, I got Rebecca, I got Charmy. Yeah. And um, I think that's it. And yes, I know it's you, Joy. <laughs> um, okay, I guess it was it was Gray in there. I'm seeing Grace, and you're awesome. Was Gray in the house? Yeah, I didn't see. Yeah, him there he is. Oh, my big man, Mama Super. He's at his daddy's. Oh, Mama so proud. Hi, baby. Mama loves. All right. <laughs> my boy. Okay. So, I guess that's it, guys. <laughs> uh, just I wanted to make sure we got all the shout-outs in, at least as many as we could, because I know I, I still feel bad about the one week where I totally blew it, totally missed it. Um, it happens. Um, so, I guess we'll... Hey, we got Ghosty in the house. Still have, you know, Ghosty's becoming a rare item, okay? I only have a few Ghosties left. Um, the manufacturer's backlogged, so these, I, I might... These are going to be a, a, a hot commodity here uh, going into the Halloween season. So get your ghosty. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then, of course, the shirts. Um, we have more of the large sizes coming in, and then we'll get to hoodies. We're going to do some different things with the hoodies. So patience. <laughs> we'll get them because I know it's still cooling off quick here. You know? It's actually cooling a lot quicker. I love it. Yeah, fall's coming early. No, I was like walking outside today and it's like we've got reds, we got yellows, it's a nice brisk breeze, it's beautiful. It's like as long as it stays there and winter doesn't come sooner. I don't want to, uh, I don't I don't want winter to come early. So I don't mind winter. I mean I can always put on more clothes, but I get arrested if I get naked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, 
Vanessa said naked. I don't know. I didn't just... Ghosty's about to have an ectogasm. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, Andrew's saying uh, he needs my book about Oklahoma and hauntings. That is Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma. So go check. And Vanessa's book is coming out here in a couple of weeks. That is. That's going to be my weekend. <laughs> that is going to be my weekend. Um, Everybody buy it so I can quit working so much. Yeah, listen to her. And yeah, yeah. Shauna has the link in there. HauntedRoadMedia.com is where you can get all of the merch. Uh, yeah, I know it's like I say, hey, here's the merch. I never say where to get it. HauntedRoadMedia.com um, is the place to get it. And um, if you want it, if you like, if, if you want Ghosty signed, just let me know. Hey, can you sign Ghosty and make sure to get it signed. Um, I think that's about it. We got more 360 videos coming out this week. So we actually have a lot coming out this week. So uh, stay tuned for all that. Um, we've got 360 videos coming out. New Friday Night Ghost Rites. Um, we might have a couple of 360 videos coming out. We got a Mike's Morning Mug that Shauna and I recorded um, yesterday morning uh, before I hit the road. So uh, lots of cool stuff coming out. So um, yeah, I guess that's. Um, <laughs> I think that's it. We did a lot here at the end of the show. I know. I just um, I just told you like ten different things to go do. I didn't even uh, I didn't even mention Patreon. And <laughs> you better do every last damn one of them. Right, right. No, I mean like all the recommendations are like call to action. Just leave it to one or two, and I just let out like ten. <laughs> I know. Oh, this is an awesome show. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. So again, we want to thank Jeff Mudgett for uh, for coming on. Uh, all of you for all of your questions, and um, of course the chat shenanigans for holding down the chat. So, um, yeah, um, as uh, Shauna says, next week is going to be uh, Team Hunter Road Media. So we're gonna um, you know, we've had a number of weeks here in a row uh, with a, a special guest. So uh, this coming week we're gonna pick a topic and run with it. And so. Um, yeah, yeah. So. I love it when we do that. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, we'll have that coming up next week, and um, I guess that's uh, about it for tonight, finally, right? <laughs> All right, everybody, you take care. Have a great night, and thank you very much for tuning in. Till next time. <laughs>